Hello everyone, I'm Annie Gibbons and you're listening to Memoirs of Successful Women, the podcast where you get to hear candid conversations with fascinating women from around the globe who share aspects of their business and life journey, how they measure their success and what they have learnt along the way. Today, it's my absolute pleasure to be interviewing Dr. Chanel Sharma, who is an ophthalmologist, entrepreneur, and absolutely divine human being. I look forward to exploring Chanel's journey to becoming a leading ophthalmologist in Sydney, who also publishes scientific papers, speaks at conferences and events, runs her own eyewear business, while raising two beautiful children. Welcome to the program, Chanel. Thank you for having me. How does a girl who was raised in Wollongong uh, go through her career journey to become a a top ophthalmologist in Sydney? Um, Well, thank you. That's very flattering for starters because I'm not sure that I see myself in the same light. But um, for me, it was simple. My parents are doctors. I was always medically inclined and... I wanted to be able to make a difference. And I initially was going to do obstetrics Mm. because, uh, you know, you get the reward of delivering the baby and the happiness and being part of a happy time in somebody's life. Um, But I also knew that I wanted to have kids Mm. and that that was not going to be ideal scenario for family life. And when I did a elective term in ophthalmology, I was really moved by the effects that we have on people's lives, or the ophthalmologists at the time were having on people's lives. Mm. So one lady really stuck with me because she was dying. She had a lymphoma and she knew she only had a few months to live according to her professionals. And she had her cataract done in one eye and she was sitting there crying at the post-op visit that this was the first time she'd ever seen her granddaughter properly. And she was now happy to die because she had, we changed, they changed her life. Wow. They'd been allowed, given her the capacity to see and enjoy her granddaughter for, you know, the first time and that it made it all worth it. And so I realized that for me, I wanted to do something that improved people's quality of life not necessarily extended their length of life. Not Mm. to say that I don't disagree that length of life is important, but that was what moved me. And so that was really when I started to decide that I'm going to do ophthalmology. Then I spent more and more time in the clinics and around other ophthalmologists, and the more I saw, the more I realised that this was the specialty for me. Fantastic. Do you, were your parents, you've mentioned both of your parents are doctors. Are they ophthalmologists as well or were they from a different specialty? No, so my parents have both practised as general practitioners in Australia predominantly, but my mother was an obstetrician overseas and my dad was a surgeon. And in those days, my mother used to deliver babies. And I remember my mum leaving many times when we were little to deliver a baby. And so I guess I didn't want to do that to my children and I for me having children was a really important part of my future life okay so interesting so that that's been that choice of I'd love to be an obstetrician but not happy with the lifestyle and the impact on your own kids and 
How many kids have you ended up having during your career? I've got two kids. That's all I'm having. (laughs) Two is enough. Absolutely, absolutely. So how did you... amazing women like you. (laughs) Amazing or slightly crazy. (laughs) I did have them... I did have them two by two, so it was a little bit different. Uh, But anyway, so how did you... uh, So when you were uh, becoming a doctor back in medical school day, you knew you wanted to make a difference. You, You became a doctor and then all the specialties line up as options you knew it, it couldn't be obstetric was it by default that you got a placement in ophthalmology or or did you know as part of that medical training ophthalmology straight up is the direction I want to head uh, so you probably know that you don't default into ophthalmology because ophthalmology is one of the hardest specialties to get into. Mm. So you've got to really want it. And um, I was never sure that I was going to be good enough to get it, but I was damn well going to give it a go because um, that's what I wanted to do. (laughs) Fantastic. One focused woman. Absolutely. All of the specialties are extremely competitive uh, to get into. So it's a a huge, um, you know, thrill and, and opportunity to be selected and to be able to pursue that dream and to uh, become qualified as a fellow. And so you then pursued that and you became a fellow of RANSCO, the College of Ophthalmology, uh, which is a great which is a great achievement. How did you find that being a woman going through there? Did you feel that it was different as a woman going through the specialty? Did you, uh, is it an equal representation of gender? Did that have any impact in your training? So for me, uh, being a woman has never been a... um, It's never been something I've been aware of as being an issue. Um, I saw my mum as a doctor, so I guess I had strong role models that there was never a question about whether there would be the ability for me to do it. Mm. I went to an all-girls school and we were empowered nobody was um i never felt that being a woman was going to hinder me in any way or be able to which because i was a girl yeah um if there was a reason i wasn't going to achieve it wasn't because of my my gender or my racial background they were neither factors in my life and um as being something that i thought as obstacles isn't that wonderful? I think that's an absolutely wonderful testimony of the of the life that we're currently living here in Australia um, at this time. What were the biggest challenges then as you navigated, you know, having children at the same time of juggling your career, growing that career? I know you've had time overseas in London as well. How did that, what were the biggest challenges during that time? I think the first and foremost thing I need to say is that I wouldn't have been able to do anything without my parents mm. because my mum and dad have really moved heaven and earth through supporting me right through my career. So started in high school and then when we went to London, I had two young children. One was two, one was six months old. My mother spent a year in London. My dad came back and forwards between London and Sydney running their own practice as well. Wow. So without that kind of support, my career would have been left behind because my husband is also an ophthalmologist and he would have continued doing his fellowship. Um, and 
I would have looked after the children. I mean, that would have been the natural thing. So I can say without having a strong lot of parents who were determined that I shouldn't be left behind, um, I wouldn't have been able to do it. That's, you're right, that's the absolute fact. The other thing, I have a really supportive husband. He never feels threatened and he takes a back seat. And when we work, we work equally, even now. Um, we juggle the kids equally. We don't have a nanny. Uh, one of us will drop the kids. One of us will pick them up. He does his best to cook on the days. He's got them in the afternoon and do homework. And um, I think for my daughter, as a, it's been an interesting experience because she doesn't at all, you, going back to your last question, perceive that women may be behind. In fact, she taunts her brother that I'm a girl, I can do everything you can do, including having babies. So, <laughs> it's a superpower. <laughs> yeah. So, she, so what I'm saying is um, with the support around us, I've been able to, to do all the things that I've been able to do. But if I didn't have that support, I wouldn't have been able. It's brilliant. It certainly does take a village for um, everyone who has has success opportunities. It, it's never as easy as it looks. There's a there's an army of people behind uh, behind most people making it happen. The logistics of actually uh, juggling life, juggling business. Uh, juggling kids and their issues and, and they're all things that you want to juggle and but you do want to keep them in balance and to be able to keep them in balance and to be able to keep yourself healthy and well and thriving uh, we definitely uh, need our support system so it sounds like you're blessed with a beautiful family I am really lucky but on, a, on the other thing is you have to work out at least for me I had to work out what things were really important that I needed to worry about and what were the things I wasn't going to worry about hmm. that maybe are important to other people? So for me, I didn't, I don't have to be there every afternoon for the kids as long as either my husband or my mother or somebody I trust is with them. Um, I didn't have to change every nappy for me to feel like I'm a good mum. I don't do certain things in the house um, when I get help. So there are certain things that. I've had to say, okay, well, I'm going to let those things go. Yeah. And I've got limited energy. I'm going to focus it on these other things which are more important to me. Yeah. I think that's a really great point to raise and for other women to to appreciate that that's right, trying to do everything is impossible. And if you are working at a higher level, higher capacity, there's only so many hours in the day. And it is extremely important to consciously plan and be aware, what do I value most? How should I be using my time? What is the most important thing? Or what is the consequences of doing some other tasks? You know, And so if they're lower down in the value, what can you outsource? What can you actually just not do? Uh, I think that's a really important uh, factor yeah. in, in planning. Yeah. Um, so with those things then, if you, if you look back now, um, over the last, you know, 10 years of growing your career, you're now lecturing at different conferences, you're publishing multiple, multiple papers. Uh, how do you uh, manage your time effectively to be able to sort of keep growing your career in that capacity? Well, I think it's all those things that we've just talked about. Um, there, 
for me, it's always a matter of looking at, okay, well, in 10 years' time, what do I want to look back and what would I look back and be proud that I've done? Hmm. Um, and what will I not regret not having done? So, you know, a great mentor said to me once, nobody ever looks back on their deathbed and says, I wish I did more housework or I wish I did more of certain things. And it's different for every person. Yeah. Right. So when I think about, well, what am I going to spend my limited resources and my limited energy on? Um, it's those things of what will I not regret later on if I haven't done and what will I be proud of having done? Mm. Um, and so that's how I divide my time. And then it makes it easier for me to crystallize what am I going to spend my energy doing? Absolutely. Um, but I do live by a timetable. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have to, absolutely. Um, so with that then, if you then look back now on the career that you've had thus far, how do you measure your success? How, what does success look like to you? Well, for me, success in my career is every time I have a patient who I have been able to contribute to improving their quality of life or their life in some way. Um, And sometimes even when you give people bad news, it improves my um, sense of achievement because if you can spend the time talking to them and somehow improve or limit the um, heartache that they experience at a time of bad diagnosis and be there to support them, then it's a two-way street. You, we get emotionally rewarded from helping others. Mm. Um, so for me, that is one form of success. For me, it's ultimately about patients uh, and the interactions I have with my patients. Um, the other stuff is a, when I say other stuff, I mean giving lectures and the, the writing of papers. That's secondary. That is because of, it allows me to teach others and be able to help them achieve what I am able to do or being taught to do. And people have spent the time teaching me and giving me these amazing skills but it's that actually helping a patient every day Mm. that makes it really worthwhile for me. Mm. Um, The other part of my success is watching my children grow up. Mm. That's a totally different side of it. And um, I try not to let one compromise the other. I, for example, for me, I gave up certain things early on which other people um, may value more, but for me, it, it was a sacrifice of spend, spending time seeing patients or spending time doing academic research. And for me, that wasn't what I, I really enjoyed as much. So I spent this time doing more of this stuff. Hmm. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. It makes so much sense. And what it actually tells me is that you've been so true to your initial intent and your core purpose and so to know that early on that you were had a compassionate heart that you wanted to make a difference and that you knew that would be in medicine and that you've pursued that opportunity via ophthalmology and now you are at this stage of your career going you know what that is my joy 
that's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing that what you thought you wanted to do is actually what you get to do every single day. And you're also acutely aware earlier on that being a mum and, and having a balance there, that that was an inconvenience, was actually a, a dual stream in, in what you would see as being a part of your life and, and a success measure. And, and the fact that I then ask you and you, you parallel them beautifully, that you are very happy and contented that you are pursuing your professional dream, but you're also highly valuing and making choices around your family life and I, I think well done to you to be able to because it's not easy uh, there's always competing factors uh, uh, that that can, inc- that can you're absolutely influence. right it's not you're absolutely right it's not easy and um, you know on Monday my daughter had a swimming carnival and she told me about 10 times last week I had a swimming carnival <laughs> on Monday but on Monday morning she said to me mum I've got the swimming carnival, but it's okay for you not to come because I know your work is more important. Mm. And with those words, I knew that I had to go to the swimming carnival (laughs) (laughs) because when she kept telling me that my work was more important than she was, I had to get some. I had to get some help to get covered (laughs) and duck into her. I do notice that with. men and I'm no criticism but my at least in our family I need to rearrange whatever I'm doing and if I have to operate then they come to theatre with me and lie in the bed whereas with my husband he never has to worry about that it's just a different division of responsibility um, and I, it sounds terrible but I guess that that's also a privilege that they want me I don't see that as a bad thing because I mean you know when he has to go to theatre, it's all about him and all about what he needs. Yeah. But when I have to go to theatre, if the children are sick, it's first to sort out the kids and then it's about me and what I need so I can be the best doctor I can try and be. What does, uh, so we've talked about what success looks like for you. What does it feel like? So it's interesting you say that because I would say that I haven't actually been successful yet because there's more to do and more work to be done. So as you know, part of my uh, professional life is also I'm involved in a startup Mm -hmm. called Beamers. Mm -hmm. And the drive for Beamers is that we can reduce the incidence of disease or prevent some disease from happening. And so I feel like, you know, I love seeing patients and I, but I can only help so many people one-on-one treating them. But if we can reduce disease, then we can help many, many people. And uh, I often feel that we're early on in learning how to get this message through. Um, And there's a lot of work to be done yet. So when you say, how does it feel to be successful? I don't feel like we've gotten there yet. Maybe later I'll be able to answer that question. Um, But when I see patients who say to me, what could I have done to reduce my chance of having X, Y, pterygiums, cancers on the eyelids, then I know that they could have reduced it by being protected in childhood. Um, Until we start doing that on on a good level, 
I don't think I can say that I know what success is yet. <laughs> I think you're being very humble and what I'm hearing is you are a high achiever and you're waiting for it all to be finished and um, a little possibility is it it's never never finishes. Uh, so it's good to celebrate the early wins and the regular wins and I think you have got many of them. So I, I think uh, permission to... Permission to um, smell the roses but also I hear what you're saying that there is so much more to do how about you uh, tell the listeners a little bit more about Beamers why did you start up a business called Beamers what is Beamers? Dr Alina Zeldovich and I were at the World Society Pediatric Meeting in 2015 and they were talking about all the science that shows how much we need to protect the eyes and particularly in childhood when the eye has maximum risk of damage because the paediatric eye has not developed its natural defences as well as an adult eye has. And so that's the time in life that children's eyes need to be protected. And they had put out a statement as well at the same time asking for all kids to be protected 365 days from sunrise to sunset. And when we came home, we wanted to find something to protect our own children. So as you have um, appreciated, my children are very important to me and Dr Zeldovich, it's the same story. So we couldn't find anything to protect our kids under $550 was what we were quoted. So we decided we would do something about it, not only to protect our kids, but all kids. Um, and the speaker said at the end of the lecture, if all the ophthalmologists in this room could go and speak to their local prime minister and have health policy changed, we'll be able to fix this problem. Well, as you and I know, going and speaking to our local prime minister isn't that easy. <laughs> so um, we're slowly, slowly working on it. We've produced a product now that we're happy is designed to do the job that we're aiming to do. So that's sunglasses for children? Protect eyes and so we have created Beamers which produces sunglasses for children with OptoShield technology Terrific. and we also have Beamers for adults with OptoShield technology so that's what we're doing and um, that was the drive behind it. So you're also an entrepreneur which is exciting there must have been lots of learning in that journey to actually set up your own business in that way in a, a different space to your professional practice it's been a massive learning curve and um, it's interesting that when we speak in our medical practices to patients they hear what we have to say but when we speak in the general public there's quite a cynicism and people don't hear the message because they automatically assume that there must be there must be um, the underlying desire to sell the sunglasses to why you're doing it, which we found very interesting because the rest of our lives, no one questions our underlying um, motive and they understand that our motive is to help. Mm. And when people actually understand what we do as an ophthalmologist, they understand that if we're really successful, we'll reduce our work. <laughs> so 
that cynicism, we're learning how to cut through. And you're right, it's been a massive learning curve for us yeah. in, in all sorts of areas. I think that must be a real eye-opener. That's right. As a clinician, they're not thinking, gee, are you trying to overbill me? But because uh, bringing out um, a, an eyewear line or a, a retail-type commercial product suddenly it creates a different view, uh, which is interesting because you're the same person and obviously all of your intent is actually just to save sight and to prevent uh, future damage, unnecessary damage, which is what you live and breathe to do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. But it's only once you understand the underlying drive of the person do you understand that. And I understand that cynicism exists. Yeah. <laughs> it's been interesting for us to look that's probably been the biggest learning curve for us. As well as being a doctor and then setting up a practice like that, what further studies have you needed to do? Did you need to do business <laughs> studies? Um, you're quite right. We decided to do a little further study and um, have started an MBA. We're actually a third of the way through our MBA. Hmm. So now we have Beamers do our MBA, work full-time, and juggle two kids. <laughs> so. You are one very busy woman, absolutely, but still loving it and still juggling it and then therefore making more and more choices every day as to how you value your time and how you choose to spend it, I'm assuming. Absolutely, absolutely. And sometimes the children need to be reassured. <laughs> Yeah. What are your, um, so just before we finish then, what is your biggest learning over your career? I guess the biggest thing I learned over my career is that I'm never going to stop learning. Um, I might, you might master one thing, but there are so many other things that we need to do. And that if you really want something, nothing is going to stand in your way because you're going to be dedicated to do it. I don't think, um, we should ever feel threatened by the fact that we're women um, or that we haven't achieved something yet. I have had people say to me over the years, things like, I don't you think you're nuts for having tried to do X, Y, or Z? I don't, I don't ever feel like even if I fail at something that I was nuts for trying because I wouldn't have achieved any of the other things that I have achieved if I hadn't tried. So I, wish everybody the absolute best on their journeys. We all have a different journey and a different desire of what's important. I think planning is absolutely essential. You need to make lists of what you want to achieve and why, because if you know what you want to achieve and what you want the outcome to look like in 10 years time, then you have some hope of making a strategy to get there. Mm. And without a plan, you've got no map. Nobody can get to a destination without math. Mm. And for the people doing your course, I think that they are already on their way because they're getting guidance and support and they're getting help making their maths. Yeah, absolutely. So congratulations to everyone who's doing your course. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for your sharing today, uh, sharing your personal and professional journey and for the tips that you've given for other other women particularly going along there and building their careers at this time. It's been really valuable. Thank you, Annie. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Memoirs of Successful Women. You can find me at anniegibbons.com where you can download my free resources get connected on social 
and check out my online magic transformation program. If you love this show, feel free to subscribe to future episodes and of course, share it with your friends. I'll see you again soon and until then, happy podcasting.